Mormon Stories podcast is a production of the Open Stories Foundation. All donations to Mormon Stories are fully tax-deductible and go directly towards keeping the podcast alive and towards building a community of support for Mormons like you. To support the podcast or to join the community, please become a monthly subscriber today at mormonstories.org. Hello and welcome to another edition of Mormon Stories podcast. I'm your host, John DeLynn. And today we have with us uh, a guest that I've wanted to have on Mormon Stories for a long time. This is not his first appearance on Mormon Stories. Um, John Hamer uh, was part of some of the very early Mormon Matters panel discussions that we had several years back. Is that true, John? Yeah, absolutely. And was um, That was a great uh, great set of discussions. And I, I also came up uh, right, right after you restarted your podcast, the Mormon Stories podcast. Uh, Joanna came on and then I came on, I think. That's right. That was around 2009 or 2010. And, uh, but, but one thing we've never done and something I've wanted to do with John for a long, long time is to actually tell, have, have him tell his story because I think his story is fascinating. Uh, John's, John's interesting for a number of reasons as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's super nice and super smart. Uh, he, he is a, is a cartographer? Is that what you call yourself, John? Well, I usually just say map maker, map maker and the reason yeah. the reason why I say that uh, obviously cartographer is the uh, more scientific word. I don't I don't do um, you know precision cartographic work or for, like like you might do if you were a geologist or something like that. The kind of maps that I make are historical maps where generally I'm illustrating um, a historical a history book, and so in that case it's less about precision and more about uh, conveying the ideas of history through maps. Right. So if you look at, for example, your LDS set of scriptures where they have those maps that show, you know, the journey of the saints from New York to, you know, Nauvoo, it would be that type of map that, that has some geography on it, but also has stuff related to, to people. And, you know, John is not just a, you know, he has a master's degree uh, from University of Michigan in this this type of stuff, but also he's been um, involved with the Joseph Smith uh, Papers Project, doing maps for them, and has been doing maps for Mormon history, various books uh, for many many years. He's also been uh, one of the you know leaders in the John Whitmer Historical Association, which is the Community of Christ, sort of parallel to the the Mormon uh, History Association. Uh, and he's actively involved now in the the Community of Christ, which is the new name for the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So there are many, many reasons why John is interesting to me. Uh, but most importantly, he's just a super knowledgeable person about church history. He's, he's very astute um, uh, in terms of his... Uh, navigation of you know these very complicated mormon cultural uh waters he's he's been a longtime blogger on the by common consent blog um as a as a non-member of the church but we'll get into all that john is there anything else i i left out that should be noted before oh, well, we jump that was in just a, a really generous introduction now i'm really excited to be uh, back on your program and talking about this story and, and one really important thing that we're going to be talking about is the fact that John, for the reasons that we'll get into, felt like he needed to leave the LDS church uh, and and probably, 
I don't know if you, we'll, we'll talk about whether you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic now or whether you don't like those labels, but my guess is you, you went through times of, of self-identifying as atheist or agnostic. And what, what I think is really interesting is that, um, John has, you know, decided to affiliate with the community of Christ, uh, church and has been super active there. And so understanding that decision for someone that knows all of the church history has has probably dissected not just Mormonism, but religious belief um, as well, but has then still chosen to remain affiliated, not just with the faith tradition, but with a, a restoration branch or, an you know, sort of a Mormon-related branch um, of, of a faith tradition is super interesting to me. So we're going to get into all that as well. So that's a big, long introduction for our listeners. Um, all right, John. So so let's start with just uh, kind of a, a little bit about your early years within the church so we can get a picture of what type of Mormon you were. Sure. Um, so my I have a longtime um, family connection in Mormonism. So my uh, through, through my mother's side, uh, I'm a seventh generation Latter-day Saint. I think it goes back, our ancestors were, uh, go back to kind of 1832, 1833, Kirtland. The family uh, was the Winchester family. Uh, and the, and one of their, so one of their daughters is one of the little known, or is the, is the little known, uh, you know, younger wife of Joseph Smith, so that people are more aware of uh, Helen Mark Kimball, but the other one is Nancy Winchester. Uh, in the Nauvoo period, and so we have kind of a, you know, kind of a long early history uh, that goes all the way back. But then, for my family, there was there's never been a it, it hasn't been people haven't been in the entire time, and so uh, there the uh, the Winchesters uh, kids uh, the family split apart in 1844 when uh, the, when during the succession crisis, and so the oldest son. Uh, went off with Sidney Rigdon and ended up becoming uh, one of Sidney Rigdon's apostles. Uh, and the youngest son that I'm descended from uh, did go out to Utah, but ultimately ended up leaving the Mormon Church, and so he was kind of an ex-Mormon early on in 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 uh, Utah. And the family has kind of gone through cycles of younger younger people, younger children have gone back, and then people have left, and that's kind of gone all the way down to the the present day, where uh, my mom is a very active member, as are uh, two of my sisters. My sister Carol is uh, a fairly prominent. She blogs as Chanson in the um, outer blogness kind of ex-Mormon blogger bloggernacle. And uh, my brother Ben is a uh, Unitarian, and my dad is uh, ex-Mormon who became an Evangelical Christian. So we have kind of a, a whole spectrum of uh, religious affiliation in my family. And I know a few of your siblings, and and love everyone I've met. So it's just a great family. Yeah, well, the nice thing about it for our family is that we have a real policy in the family of family first before all of these things, and so I get along absolutely great with my mom and my my Mormon sisters, and uh, and same thing with Carol and Ben. So uh, there, we don't that isn't that ha, that hasn't been in, and my dad that hasn't that isn't an issue. I mean, we don't agree obviously on uh, in our own you know where we are religiously, but. Uh, it doesn't. That hasn't stopped us from, you know, staying together as a family, and also, uh, you know, putting that before. I see that as a great role model for for you know all religious people. Just family should come first, in my view. So that's great. 
So, so, so my, I was just going to say, so yeah, and growing up, so we were a mission field Mormon family. So uh, we, I was born in uh, the kind of the suburbs of Chicago, and we moved to uh, New York and the New Jersey uh uh, Ohio and finally Minneapolis, where I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, and so um, I was the kind of one of the kids who was very um, was very active. Uh, I was the deacon's quorum president. I was the seminary president. I was all those kind of things. An Eagle Scout at thirteen. I was the uh, there was a girl too, but there I was the boy that the bishop would always call on if they wanted a youth to uh, give a prayer. Uh, went around and gave talks at with the stake high councilman when we would, you know, would go around to do those kind of things. So I was very um, active in that way and also was uh, able to talk to adults early on. And so was kind of the, the kid that they called on to, for, to present your, uh, the face of, you know, youth in the church in my ward. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, also very early on, as early as when I was a, a teacher, I was um, kind of a closet doubting Mormon. And so uh, I didn't, uh, I would feel like a lot of doubt about a lot of the truth claims. Uh, I didn't think that the Book of Mormon uh, seemed particularly ancient in comparison to the Old Testament. I uh, definitely didn't think that the, um, when I was looking at, in, I remember looking as a young teenager in in church, kind of looking through the um, facsimiles of the Book of Abraham and saying, you know, this is, it's very clear that this is a, 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 a diagram of someone being mummified. It's not Abraham being sacrificed. And below, the, the canopic jars are even there, which are part of the Egyptian mummification rituals. And so I was kind of a closet doubter on those things. And then as a doubter, when I was making like those kind of talks in church, then I'd have these very spiritual uh ladies in the church would come up afterwards and say, oh, I felt the spirit, you're so strong in the spirit, this kind of thing. And I thought, you know, the entire time I'm giving this, I really don't believe it. And so I, I became very skeptical of what they felt, the, you know, feeling the spirit was. And so pretty well, um, uh, by mid-teenage years, I, I was, a, you know, was not a believer in the truth claims of the Mormon church. And then uh, considered myself to be not a believer at all and out of it by the time I turned 18. Okay, so, um, but you were also like president of your, you know, deacon's teacher priest quorum, right? I mean, yes, yeah. So, so the church meant a lot to you, and you were really into it. But yes. you're saying your faith kind of fell apart by age 18. Yes, and then the, the main thing was, so I really kind of felt by the time I was so 16, I didn't believe in the truth claims, but I was still decided, okay, I'd be the head of the teachers. I'm sorry, priest quorum. Uh, you know, the bishop is the president or whatever, but you're the I was the right. leader of it. And you know, and so my my feelings at that point was so my I had a policy which was something like uh, you didn't have to go to activities if you didn't want to, and <laughs> we we would have donuts every Sunday, this kind of thing. So it wasn't, you know, but but um, but but the thing, and so I kind of felt like okay, I'm enjoying the social aspect of it. I'll probably stay Mormon all my life. But what really um, was the thing that uh, I decided I couldn't stay in about um, when I was 18 was I thought, you know, the 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 sexism that's inherent in Mormonism is something that I just can't overcome, inherent in Utah Mormonism. And so, uh, and I was also very uncomfortable with the, um, you know, I was only eight when the, when the priesthood ban uh, for black people uh, changed. And the doctrine that under, you know, underlay that ban uh, you know, was continuing to be taught. So my 
seminary teacher uh, when I was 16 had, you know, just repeated essentially the same kind of race uh, doctrines that justified the priesthood ban. And I also, you know, did not feel comfortable with that at all. So I thought, well, this is actually, uh, as much as I enjoy the social aspect of it, this is actually uh, not something that I, I feel comfortable with in terms of its, uh, the overall good that it's accomplishing because I felt like uh, what it is doing for my mom, her place, you know, kind of without being able to have exercise real leadership in the ward when she's here, she's the smartest person in the ward. And and also my sisters who um, were just not as, you know, just not as valued uh, for what their accomplishments were. So, I mean, I remember just a very, you know, like one of my terrible searing memories is I was, I was this um, whatever, uh, overly proud 13-year-old Eagle Scout and my sister, who had earned the highest um, uh, award in the Girl Scouts, um, I just remember saying something like, well, that, you know, you know, something just really flippant and awful where that, that doesn't count or it isn't the same thing, right? In other words, that this doesn't have the same, uh, it doesn't, it's not, it's certainly the, the program isn't recognized by the church and it isn't, in, in, it's just a kind of girl's counterfeit of the thing. And it was an awful thing to say and my mom, you know, kind of reprimanded me for it right then uh and i don't remember what it was but anyway i just that was one of the things that allowed me to start to see why you know why is it that only in this in this worldview why is it that only boys are people and men are people and women aren't real people you know so right so you felt like the church was a little bit too sexist for your taste a little bit or too racist at least historically for your taste right um and uh, and yet and yet you chose to go to BYU. Yes, so what was I went it? to BYU. Okay, real quick, real <laughs> quick. Did you did you tell your family about your doubts or lack of belief at the time? Did your um, mom? Did your mom or siblings know that you didn't believe anymore? Well, so the, my official I per, you know, I absolutely don't believe anymore. Um, dividing line occurred like two weeks after I went to BYU, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so you couldn't talk to them before. Um, so before I was a closet doubter and hadn't decided to write everything off, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm going to live with this, I'm going to do this and that. But then when I went to BYU, a couple weeks after that, then i like, okay, this is not the direction that I'm going. I'm okay. not going to stay in this. So, so what, what happened at BYU? So at BYU, um, okay, so I had been in the mission as a mission field Mormon, and there had only been um, – in my high school, a handful of other Mormons. And so I had, had kind of been able to have for myself this sort of identity that um, uh, Mormons were a model minority, like my Jewish friends or something like that in, in my school, where um, we were able to say, I don't know, I was able to feel like there was this kind of a, a special identity there where, uh, anyway, that I, because I didn't have a lot of real firsthand um connection to, you know, kind of a real Mormon society where more, a Mormon majority society and, you know, getting to BYU, then I was in, you know, immediately immersed into the middle of a Mormon majority society, which, um, you know, as a kind of a, you know, a, a young adult or whatever, an 18 year old, I, I, I judged very harshly and I thought, well, this is, this is pretty hypocritical and everybody here is the same as in any other society. And, and this is really not, it isn't really special. And so that was like, I thought, okay, this is, I'm done with this. And, and so, yes, yeah, so, I know I did tell um, my family right away. 
And uh, I wrote to my sister, who's a year younger than me, and she wrote back and said, well, I believe exactly the same as you. I'm not interested in this. Uh, I'm really happy that you wrote me that, you know, and then my mom and dad didn't feel that way at all. <laughs> so my mom, um, I don't know, she was, ups- I'm sure she was maybe upset with people at BYU. She thought that maybe I wouldn't, uh, you know, that this decision was a phase or something like that, but it, it ultimately wasn't. So I ended up staying at BYU for uh for three years, I graduated after three years. Um, it would have been, it would have been, I would have had to go, I would, it would have, it would, my undergrad would have taken five years if I had decided to leave and go to the University of Wisconsin or something like that. So I just decided to knuckle under and, and, you know, batten down the hatches and plow through and get done with it. So, so was it hard to be at BYU as a non believer? No, it was pretty easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you pull it off? Well, uh, so, you know, the, the, the the way you get in trouble at BYU, well, this is a while ago too. I th- I'm sure BYU is a little different now, but um, so this was 88 to 91, 92. Um, at the time, um, I, there was you know everybody was talking about I don't know the BYU standards, secret police, and this kind of thing or whatever it was, the kind of things that you had to uh, go through. But people really got we get in trouble as a doubter or a, an unbeliever when they would when they would confess that to their bishop, right? And so if they would say that, then you'd get flagged and people would have to be in interviews all the time and there would be these, you know, all of the kind of troubles that everybody goes through. But as somebody who was absolutely a non-believer and who was just determined to finish and graduate, I didn't have, I didn't feel any qualms at all about, you know, just smiling at my bishop when I would have the occasional interviews. And even the last, the last uh, year, I didn't even have to go to church at all because, um, all I did was to get an ecclesiastical endorsement. I I, um, I I transferred into a a new student ward in 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 like May or something, and you know attended two weeks, smiled the whole time. Then I said, oh, I need this thing signed because I was away for a semester, you know, in in Europe or something, and 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 he just signed it right off, and that's it. I had to go like three times for an entire year, so it really wasn't tough at all. Now that was a that was the time I was at BYU. Joanna Brooks was at BYU. Yes. Do you remember any any of the sort of activist liberal things happening, the September sixth kind of stuff, and to what extent were you a part of any of that? Well, in fact, I was so um, I was at the time, uh, you know, just surprisingly, I was able to construct a kind of a non Mormon life there, <laughs> and so actually, I was not interested in anything to do with Mormonism, and I it was incredibly unaware of the September sixth or anything like that that was happening, even though I was in the history department, <laughs> so. So um, I I didn't really I didn't really know about that I did I was a part of the liberal Mormon community so uh, the student review newspaper I was on the staff of that for a whole long time I was the creative director and production director of student review and then um, ultimately I became the publisher of student review and worked directly with Joanna Brooks who's a good friend of mine who was the editor. Now that's a pretty that's a pretty his- historic time to be working on the student review. Did you enjoy that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I had a, a lot of wonderful friends who were, you know, progressive Mormons and uh, and doubters and every and non Mormons. So I had a really good um, community there, and also in at BYU, and also um, had a lot of great professors who I really, really enjoyed. So yeah, that's that's a really cool time to be at BYU. Um, now, something we haven't talked about uh, is uh, stuff relating to sexuality. Um, you know, as I understand it, you you began experiencing same sex attraction as a as a teen, right? Well, as a kid, yeah, yeah, or whatever. So yeah, so this was so I'm I'm a gay man. The um, 
I'm, but from this is again from an earlier era for uh, young gay people. That young gay people have so many um, role models in the media uh, that they're able to come out, you know, in junior high and things like that these days. But um, for me, growing up in the uh, '70s and '80s, I had never uh, met another openly gay person. I'd never seen gay characters in, in media. And so there was this era still where it was possible to know who you're attracted to. I mean, all the way back to who I was interested in in junior high and that kind of thing. Um, but not having put that together to say, okay, that means I'm gay. Right. And, and so, um, and so definitely I, this wasn't, uh, this is something that, you know, when, when it back then coming out, uh, wasn't only just coming out public; it was actually coming out to oneself. In other words, oh, that's what this all means, right? <laughs> right. And so, uh, two years or after I, um, you know, got into BYU, and uh, about two and a half years uh, after um, I really had put uh, the church and Mormonism behind me, uh, although I was still living in this heart of it at BYU in Utah County, Utah. Um, I uh, met for the very first time a friend of mine on the student review. We went up to Salt Lake. We met um, uh, a guy who was, you know, was living in Salt Lake. Who's openly gay. Who's a couple years older than me. Really nice person. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so within about a week, um, you know, I'd been talking to him on the phone. And without a, within about a week, I was like, okay, this all really makes sense to me. I'm gay. Okay, now it now you know now it's all very clear. And so within about a month. Uh, of that, I had told everybody I knew on the student review and uh, my sister. And uh, within two months, I'd told my parents and everything like that. And I was fairly, I mean, for me, it wasn't something that was traumatic at all. Uh, it was something that was, it, you know, so, you know, very sensible and it made a lot of sense. And um, so then, uh, but in coming out in Utah uh, Valley, Utah, in 1991, this wasn't the best and most supportive environment uh, for being gay. And so the the, the social um, environment for gay people at the time was essentially uh, independent support groups. And so I met uh, the group that was met in um, met there. And so for a lot of the people who had been had come out or had been coming out in the last couple of year, years, they also were experiencing just the total collapse of their worldview because they came out at a time when they still are maybe, um, you know, believers in Mormonism, believers in the church. And so their worldview would then collapse at the same time. And so people not only were going through all of this, um, uh, identity issues. They were also going through uh, faith, a terrible faith crisis, and so even though I was very newly out, um, I kind of immediately became one of the people who was more doing counseling than being counseled in the support group. There, you sometimes hear about um, sort of a, a gay underground at BYU, uh, and you even hear unsavory things. You know, was that was that going on? Were you plugged into that at all? And and what can you, you know, how can you describe that or dispel myths or whatever? Um, well, so in, in most cases, um, a large percentage anyway, the people that I knew who were gay at BYU, uh, again, because the church was so totally unsupportive of who they are and had a kind of an un- uh, has an unrealistic idea, you know, this denial that gay people exist, this kind of thing. So the church uh, is itself discrediting if you're gay. Um, 
you immediately see that they're the church is wrong about things. Uh, so as a result, there's this, like I say, this um, this this collapse of the worldview and spiritual crisis that tends to happen at the same time. And so most of the people um, that I knew in the gay community there at BYU, therefore, were um, were you know kind of functionally ex-Mormon. They had they had left the belief uh, system of it, and then you know simultaneously what hap- is happening is they're having a um, you know kind of a an initial an adolescence where you're actually dating you're dating people you're attracted to for the first time uh, uh, you're experimenting you weren't like a kid who uh, I never had had uh, for example alcohol was a, a in in high school or anything like that uh, but you know there that's the kind of, so there so there there were definitely drinking parties we would definitely um, I throughout the whole last year I was at BYU I would routinely go up um, uh, every Friday night to the gay bar up in Salt Lake, uh, and so didn't you know meet people there and that kind of thing. It wasn't um, I you know there was again all of these stories that the secret police were you know uh, writing down your license plates and everything like that. But I I never had any trouble with any of that. And um, and how did people keep it secret? How did they how did they keep it secret from their roommates and from? From others around them, you know, I, I would think that it would lead to this sort of paranoia that you're going to be told on, and that you know the honor, the honor, what is it? The standards yeah, the office is going to is going to well, get you know, rid of I, yeah. I there, I think that there's, it you know, it could be totally different now. <laughs> so I don't know how they you know how they might have reformed or changed or what their new procedures would be. At the time, the, the I think the real. Um, the the two ways that you really would get in trouble are one through confession. So if somebody is busily confessing something, they're so they're really torn up and they're busily confessing things to their bishop, they get in trouble. And then the other way is if you are um, some kind of you know if you're really standing out, you you know shave your you know, make a mo- give a mohawk and you stand in the middle of the campus and 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 really make made a lot of noise this kind of thing. <laughs> you know uh, there I have I was the publisher of the student review and and I was totally out to um, all my roommates and um, you know most of the people on student review and that kind of thing and there was no I mean we would we met with administration I mean I would I didn't go up and tell people in the administration I've met with them about the student review and that kind of thing but and so I didn't ever have any you know any run-ins with standards I, I would theoretically have been a problem but I I never had a single run in at all with it. I would think there I'd be I'd be paranoid that roommates would tell on me. Did you just pick your roommates really carefully or were you just lucky or or is that not a realistic fear that roommates might tell on someone if they found out? I guess I should probably have been more fearful, John. <laughs> I'm not actually very fearful. I didn't I didn't uh, have any problem. I mean I had a one of my roommates was at different times I had a couple of different roommates who were gay. Um at different times, I was living. You know, I I was living in unapproved housing sometimes. Right. You know, but right. uh, it, it, I didn't find it too hard to skirt any of those things. So. Yeah, I the the only reason I mention is because I, I found there's a lot at stake because if you if you do invest three or four years at a, at a at a LDS church run university, and then you get kicked out. Oh yeah. That that can add, like you said, a couple of years to your education, and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars and so oh, there, yeah. there, there there is a lot at stake um, I was probably way too honest and flippant about it in that way you know so in other words I was kind of having a little bit of a disregard for it but I would also since I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot of things to stand out or to offend anybody I mean I was at the end I was working for um, 
half of, I mean, like I had like five different departments that I was in a TA for. So I was working for uh, Bill Hamblin as his research assistant at the history department. Whoa, Bill Hamblin. The, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was working for his dad as a research assistant, doing drawing maps for geology books for in the geology department. I was the uh, production director for the business college's newspaper. I was production director for the honors department's newspaper, production director for the history department um, journal. <laughs> so, I mean, I really was kind of tied into like the publishing and that kind of thing. And I didn't, and, and was working directly with, um, you know, administration, administrative people in the different departments, and, and occasionally right. again meeting with the administration in terms of the student review itself. So, yeah. Did you ever feel guilty that you were being dishonest? You know, that you no. That, that, no. How did you How did you avoid that? Because I, I think if well, you, I, felt I like think if you was, an honest feel, person. Yeah. Well, the I, I don't I don't feel that the, I didn't feel that the regulations were 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 you know reasonable or 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 you know so so in other words like you said i mean if these were these are things that um uh they could they could people can for no particularly reasonable reason you know you could you can lose something that's as serious as as you know an education degree get kicked out and get set back like you say tens of thousands of dollars in all these years and so i thought well this is the these are the rules under which this whole thing operates the system itself is dishonest i'm just going to you know, like I say, graduate as as rapidly as possible and do what the system actually wants, which is keep your head down and not make a lot of noise and, and offend everybody all around it, as opposed to right, the right. Uh, the letter of the of the law and all that stuff. So right, right, okay. So I, I guess you weren't super sad to leave Provo. No, I wasn't sad at all. <laughs> <laughs> My sister graduated at the same time as me, and we almost um, we almost had done this. Uh, as we were taking the driving the the U-Haul truck home or something, we were almost having the the dusting off our feet ritual, when we right. leave Utah, which is good that we didn't because I've ended up going back so many times. And but I didn't think so at the time. I didn't think that would ever happen. So I thought at the time um, I would be leaving my Mormon identity entirely behind me. So what had happened was the, and, and um, your re- and your religious identity. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so for you, it was I wasn't religious a- at all in at BYU, and, and I didn't consider. I mean, again, I wasn't wasn't religious, and I also wasn't interested in Mormonism. I I I was in history, but I was in medieval European history and, and classical history, the history of map making, this kind of thing. I had no interest whatsoever in Mormon history, which I had only ever been exposed to in the kind of uh, Sunday school and seminary sanitized versions, which I therefore assumed that the history was just intensely boring and 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 dull and dumb. <laughs> and so as a result of it, I actually, it, it, the, what I'd learned from Mormon history, no matter how much I love history, what I'd heard in, in Sunday school about Mormon history actually turned me off to American history in general. And I just assumed that kind of American history and modern history was just just intensely boring. And so it, tur- it turned me to ancient history and medieval history. And I had had this period of time, I was going to go and be a, um, I was going to go be a TA uh, or, or research assistant or, or, t- or teaching assistant at the Jerusalem Center uh, for a semester. And uh, this ended up being the semester that Saddam Hussein attacked Kuwait. And so as a result, I was kind of I was in Europe waiting to go and, and we kept on getting delayed and delayed. And so I was spending this time in Europe um, traveling around and seeing historical things, but also traveling by rail pass and meeting 
you know, young uh, students, college, other, other fellow college students from around the world who had nothing to do with Mormonism. And so right from the day one when I was there, I kind of had made my decision that I was going to excise my Mormon background entirely from my identity. And so I went to the very first youth hostel. I met a, met a guy who seemed like a really cool guy. We went out, and this is in um, Strasbourg, France. We went out and uh, to a bar and got a beer. I'd never had alcohol in my life, but I'm just like pretending, oh, I'm cool. I'm just a regular American college student. I have none of this Mormon background. I, uh, I, like, I drank the beer and I just like, oh my goodness, this tastes like hairspray. <laughs> I can't, I, I gotta be cool. I gotta be cool. I don't have, you know, anyway. And so I had this incredible, um, uh, experience by and, and so much so much more enjoyment by having left mormonism entirely behind me than i that i had kind of you know when i was on that semester abroad that i decided you know when i leave byu and provo i'm just this is not going to be part of my story anymore i'm not going to have it be part of my story and so when i moved to ann arbor michigan to go to the university of michigan for as a grad student um i told nobody at all in my that that was part of my backstory that was just written out and would you have self-identified back then as an atheist or agnostic? Uh, uh, yes, one of the two. I mean, atheist would be, depending on what you mean with an atheist, atheist is like if you are some kind of a hard atheist where you're saying there is proof that there, that, yeah, that some kind of God doesn't exist, That I, I, I don't think that's supportable, so it would have probably been an agnostic. In other words, this isn't something that um, that interests me, which is what I guess I would have said. At the time. Right, right. So, so tell us how you went from uh, desiring to leave all remnants of Mormonism to extricate all all remnants of Mormonism from your identity and experience right. to becoming one of the most Mormon associated people that I know. <laughs> <laughs> Although not not LDS. Um, right. ha- tell me how that happened. So uh, I did spend then the better part of the 90s just not involved at all. And so it's kind of a little bit of a strange thing. So if you, you know, as you recombine with all of the people who know you from different times in in your life on Facebook, people who uh, know me from, you know, being a Mormon kid in high school to people who know me from being, uh, you know, whatever, a liberal gay guy at BYU to people who don't have any connection with, um, didn't have any connection with Mormonism for all of my friends that I had in graduate school to then, like you say, more recent people I've met uh, since uh, the 2000s who uh, have known me as either a secular Mormon, a Mormon historian, or um, now more recently as a member of Community of Christ. There, there, there's a lot of question marks, I think, above everybody's heads as they're kind of looking at the different different phases that I've gone through for all of this. Um, what ended up happening was, so I, I um, uh, uh, in the course of um, being at, um, being in Ann Arbor and having nothing to do with it, just studying medieval history, um, I was also, um, I also still had all kinds of, um, like, er, Mormon values kind of wired into me. And so one of them is just the obsession with getting married, right? And having like this companion and being with somebody and sharing your life with somebody forever. And uh, and that one of the problems with that uh, is that you put so much pressure on dating when you're dating because you're really, uh, this is probably universally true or often true for, for Mormons is that when you're doing, when you're doing dating, you're doing this, um, the first date is like this marriage assessment 
<laughs> interview almost, right? And so there's all of this kind of pressure on dating that is just not doesn't exist outside that Mormon universe. But I still felt was putting that kind of pressure on kind of the dating that I was doing. And so um, I, you were and, you were looking for your gay eternal companion, basically. My gay eternal companion, <laughs> you know, somebody I was going to be with for a time and all eternity. And that was like the first date. <laughs> you know, <and> so, <laughs> that's awesome. Love it. And so I, you know, I've had some, you know, um, really great guys, you know, who I was like, okay, let's let's get married, you know, <laughs> right away. You know? <laughs> and uh, and so obviously that I wasn't prepared to, you know, I wasn't it, I wasn't really pre- I wasn't emotionally prepared to have like, um, uh, yeah, I was. That's like with kind of thing where you're also in love with love. I would say, sure, <laughs> you're in love with the idea of having an eternal companion, and you are therefore not mi- you're missing the person that you're you're right. you're pushing into that uh, ideal. I, I would also guess that because you have such an awesome family, you were in love with the idea of having your own family. Yeah, I, 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 maybe so. <laughs> so I'm actually, I've never had an interest in having kids. Oh, I didn't mean kids. Yeah. So yeah, no, definitely. I was definitely interested in having, um, you know, to, in, in producing a family and, produ- you know, having, having a family in terms of being married to someone. And so, uh, and so definitely, uh, though I would put way too much pressure on things. And so, uh, and, 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 and had, a, and also then the other thing that you're dealing with as, um, uh, as a gay person in, let's say, a small town, even a, even a progressive college town like Ann Arbor, where so I went from a place that was very anti-gay, Utah Valley, Utah, in in 1992, to a place that was really progressive and and open and accepting and everything like that in Ann Arbor in 1992. And um, but the problem was still that there's a really pretty small population. So we're a little college town. Uh, there's only so many potential people who you know, or I, I can find to be my eternal companion, right? And so, um, and so, at a certain point, I had just decided that um, that this was too important to me, and that um, I needed to, you know, move to a bigger place where I can, you know, find find more people that I could actually prioritize this a little bit more rationally. Um, I felt like I'd matured enough to actually be able to um, date without without just falling in love with love and that kind of thing. And so I had made this decision to um, uh, move to California where I would uh, maybe become um, a creative director for a magazine either in, in the LA area or San Francisco. And on the way, I stopped back at Minneapolis, which is where I grew up, and I had never really gone out uh, to a gay bar or met anybody in, in, the, in Minneapolis. And I thought, well, I'm here for a month. I'm working on designing, redesigning a museum panels and graphics and making maps for museums in Minneapolis. Um, while I'm here, I'll, um, you know, I'll just, I'll go out and I'll give Minneapolis a chance. Minneapolis, you got a, you got a month to show me what you got. <laughs> and the very, uh, the very first night I went out, I met um, Mike Karpowitz and we've been together uh, ever since. And so uh, uh, the difference then though, was that unlike all the previous dating that I'd done in Ann Arbor, um, Minneapolis is where my family lives. And so when I brought Mike home like a week after we'd gotten together, introduced him to my parents, Mike, uh, I couldn't, suddenly I couldn't have this backstory that just had this gap where I didn't talk about Mormonism at all because Mike immediately meets my mom who's a Mormon. And so he's very interested, what's all this Mormon business? And and so I, I was, I began to, by telling him kind of my 
the you know the backstory that I knew the Mormon story as as well as I'd known it, which wasn't really very deep at all. And so it was kind of through um, discovering you know more of what that Mormon story was, and then my own family story in it, uh, that that kind of led me to realize how interesting Mormon history actually is. And so I. Uh, my mom actually had a copy of Von Brody, No Man Knows My History. I read that, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this stuff is so interesting, you know? <laughs> so, and so kind of from there, I have, I, that, that got me back into, you know, or got me into, for the first time, being really interested in, in my own uh, family history, my own Mormon family history. And, and from there, um, uh, the Internet had started to be created, social connections. There were warm, uh, social boards for... Uh, ex-Mormons, and so I started, you know, communicating on those. Uh, I also then got in touch with, um, you know, the people who are writing these books through wonderful institutions like the Mormon History Association and the John Whitmer Historical Association, and I started to realize that all of these people whose books that I've written were so accessible, they're such wonderful people, uh, people like Levina, uh, Fielding Anderson became really good, great close friends, all, you know, everybody from Mike Quinn, uh, Dan Vogel, Brent Metcalf, all of the people who, you know, who you end up meeting. Jen, Jen Ships ended up being uh, just an intensely close mentor. Uh, and so that kind of brought me back into um, touch with the Mormon community because I got in touch with the Mormon history community. And, and how long have you been together with Mike? Uh, since 1997. 1997. I want to do the math. So that's 16 years. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Um, 1997. Okay. And uh, and so in part, we kind of have Mike to thank for bringing you back to Mormon culture. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we we um, he was so interested in it. He loves. There's nothing he likes more than road trips. And so we added to. I mean, he likes to go and see, like, President you know, presidential history sites and that kind of thing, or he, or any other number of things, but we just added into the mix, um, Mormon history sites. And so we started, you know, going to different, uh, Mormon visitor centers and, uh, you know, we went to the Hill Cumorah and to Vorey, Wisconsin and, uh, St. George and any other number of places. And so in fact, it was, um, for my, uh, uh, 30th birthday that Mike took me to the Kirtland Temple for the first time, and that is actually when I encountered members of the reorganized church, uh, Community of Christ, for the kind of for the first time. So that was before I got involved more more directly with the the history associations.